Where I got lucky is that because I've grown this network in Kansas City, that hospital told me the day I was leaving they'd never seen more flower deliveries for one person. And I had so many meals provided, so many people come by. Most people can't even get on the phone, came by my house with cookies, came by my house, just hang out with me. (laughs) Friends would come over and play board games with me. And it was just insane because all the networking that I had done over the years, When I network, I network with intention. So if there's somebody I think you should meet, I do that intro, right? Like I've never been an all in for me type of girl. Um, But at this point, I didn't have it in me to help anyone else. And all those people stepped up and showed up for me. And it was pretty phenomenal because it was all just based off of me starting this business. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt-sized company, from small 16 employees to extra-large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership, and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Jody Sean, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Aaron Falk. Aaron is the founder and president of Lillian James Creative, a public relations and marketing firm specializing in social media and digital marketing. Erin started Lillian James Creative, named after her two children, in 2016 as a single mother without a college degree. The company now has 13 employees in six states, providing marketing consulting and creative services to dozens of clients. You can learn more about Erin at erinfolk.com and lillianjamescreative.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Aaron. Aaron, good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to the corporate couch. Hi, how are you? I should have asked you, is this video or video and audio or audio? Uh, Aaron's in her pajamas. Uh, and <laughs> I'm still, not. But, uh, but, but no, I don't use uh, the video. So she And she is not in her pajamas. But I'm in a hoodie even though it's 100 degrees outside because it's like one of those weird things when you have one of these old houses. It's so hot as the higher you go, like the bottom floors are so cold. Yes. So I'm excited to talk to you today. It's, it should be a fun, if nothing else, interview. You're uh, obviously uh, a podcast expert. You know, you've, you have uh, two, three, four out there. So we'll, we'll chat about that a little later on. So, uh, yeah, so I'd like to start off with a fun question. So even at people that know you fairly well, what would be the one thing that would surprise them about you? I'm a pretty open book. The one thing I think that I usually thought people knew about me, but they didn't realize are my hobbies. My hobbies are how I clear my mind. So prior to last year, which I can't do now because I had an accident uh, with my leg, but you know that, but um, I, I skated a lot. And so I was a big ice skater. And I also play a lot of poker and go to Vegas just on my own to play poker a lot Um, because both of those things are the only two times that I can get my brain to stop being entrepreneurial, right? Like when you're playing poker, I'm more, more thinking strategy of poker. And when I'm ice skating, I'm more like, there's just a whole different mindset of like balance versus I used to be an ice skater back in the day. So still trying to keep up with all of those those things and so those those are the two things people never seem to know about me even though I do them so often but on my own that I forget that people don't know that's phenomenal I love both of those so it's uh and I I'm gonna forget the person's name he, he's the creator of billions and he has a podcast but um very successful and he, he's done other shows and movies and um, he's a bit, uh, friends with Seth Godin, you know, who, you know, I love, but he, t- he's a big poker player and he interviewed this woman that actually wrote a book about poker and how, how you make decisions and all that. But yeah, it's interesting. So where, where do you ice skate at these days? Uh, well, I don't these days cause I broke, I oh, fell the down foot, the- yeah, the leg. Yes. I broke all that. But during COVID and before COVID there's a place over in Shawnee 
Western Shawnee yeah. that I was going. I'm I still up until last year. Um, I was a level five, which means you can go to private skate. Oh wow! So I was still doing that. Besides ice skating, what did you love doing growing up as a kid? Uh, so growing up, you know, we moved almost every year growing up. So a lot of my growing up experience was just stuff that I could do and take with me. Um, a lot of art, a lot, a lot of entrepreneurial stuff, no matter what school I went to, cause I switched schools a lot. I would sell candy there and just kind of that type of stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I just like, you know, singing, dancing, all that kind of stuff. I never did any of that um, formerly, like formally, when I got to high school, we finally stayed in one place. So I played tennis, uh, and I was on the track team in high school and did all that kind of stuff. But, um, I don't know, just kind of artsy creative stuff, which makes sense with my job at this point. So, yeah, we'll obviously talk about your entrepreneurial, uh, skills and, uh, love and, uh, success in it. Did you want to be an ice skater uh, as in your adulthood? What was your kind of dream? Like, ah, when I'm an adult, I'm going to be this. Yeah. So I think I wanted to be a lot of things. Um, I just had a very kind of uh, chaotic childhood. My parents just didn't really figure it out until they were older, which I saw an amazing quote a couple of years ago, which helped me understand it. And it said, remember that your parents were growing up the same time you were. And now that I'm a parent myself, I kind of understood that. Um, it's weird though, because I don't think I really had any aspirations of what I wanted to do. I had no aspirations. But what happened is I think that made me a much better mother. So I'm a mom to two kids, almost 17 and 11. My kids are literally involved in everything. And they both know their exact career paths they want. Because I... Um, I wanted them to have every opportunity, which also is part of my entrepreneurship story, right? Like when you're a single mom, you don't get, your kids don't get every opportunity. But even yesterday we enrolled my son into, he's, we're in big into theater. They're both into theater. And he gets to go to London for 10 days this summer um, on a theater trip with his school, which is not a cheap endeavor, right? But that's just like one of those things that when you're like writing your why list was so important to me is that my kids, I never had to say no to an opportunity that would uh, benefit them in their adulthood. And I've been really, really blessed that I haven't had to do that yet, but I don't think I knew, but it's weird because my kids know. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, I think, you know, two things about that, you know, just, this is not a parenting podcast, but parenting is part of, you know, uh, business for a lot of people that have children. And I think you, when you expose them to a lot of different things, it helps them in their path, right? They'll see what they like and don't like. So I, I applaud you for doing that. And I, you know, just going and I have, uh, you know, we're a mini Brady Bunch. So I have uh, four kids, uh, two of my own, two of my wife's. And uh, I think the thing you have to remember about parenting you know, and our parents and and even us as the parents we do the best we can i mean that's right. the bottom line and you know as long as you realize that especially about your own parents you know i think it's important so um, it's not a parenting podcast but i would push back that you cannot like in 2023 i feel like maybe even as early as 1980 1990 early 2000s we kept everything so separated, but post COVID and in 2023, I mean, it is all so merged and like, you see so many people either working from home while their kids are home, bringing their kids into the office, uh, working in the car while my kids are at their activities, right? Like, I feel like it's all so merged that you have to realize now, how am I going to work while being a parent, while being, you know, taking care of the rest of my life? Like, there's just no, it's not compartmentalized anymore. So it's kind of a parenting podcast. I love that answer, uh, Aaron. I was just, I, I'm doing a special edition of the Corporate Couch. Hasn't launched yet, but um, I was on the uh, uh, Zoom earlier today with Franny Goolsby. She's a senior VP of Sale Linux. I was a past client two times, and we're talking about culture. I just, we were catching up. She's based in Omaha, and she was saying how hard it was for her during the summer to work from home you know, major executive, but I, and I, I think her kids are uh, seven, nine, and eleven, three girls, and she, yeah. So you're absolutely right. It's a it's a blend, and the pandemic, which we're you know three plus years into, uh, has definitely changed that. So 
thank you for post pandemic i spend a lot more time with my kids i didn't realize how much time i was missing out with my kids but i work mostly from home but during the summer you know i decided who says you have to work nine to five now it's different if you work for someone i get to work for myself but who says i know what i need to get done every day so there'd be times where my daughter and i would go outside to the backyard we have pool in our backyard and we'd be like okay from one to three we're gonna swim mommy has to work until then just you do your thing until then and then from one to three we can swim and then i'll just go back to work and then maybe do some more work after you go to bed right so like i just think it's so much different post-pandemic and you have to do what works for you and your family i love that answer so you you went to a couple different schools, but you did uh, you, you went to KU. What what made you pick English uh, language and literature as a, a major? <laughs> my college story is really funny. So I didn't even decide to go to college till my senior year. I am from a family that um, it was weird. My grandfather was very successful. He was actually one of two TMJ specialists, which is like jaw jaw, mm-hmm. and the whole. United States back in the day. And he had a huge TMJ school here in Kansas City, huh. um, was on the city board, very successful. And then he had five children and none of them followed that same path, right? I don't know if it's because it was the 70s. I don't know what it was. But <laughs> my, mom, my mom went to Colorado and became a hippie and met my hippie father. Oh. And education, and my dad grew up in a teeny tiny mountain town, Granby, Colorado. So it was just never a thing, right? Like we just didn't talk about college. They didn't even care about my grades. Like none of it was ever a thing. And they were entrepreneurs when I was young. They had a clothing store and it went bankrupt and that just caused mass chaos. That's when we started moving all the time. We moved back to Kansas and it was just like, they just couldn't figure it out, right? They couldn't figure, I don't think they figured out what they wanted to do to this day. My dad ended up getting a job when I was in high school that he was at for about 20 years after that, but I just don't think they really ever figured it out. So they definitely were not on me to figure it out at a young age, but I liked KU basketball a lot. I don't know if it's just because I was living here or what. So I decided my senior year, well, maybe I'll be a sports reporter. And so I went to um, a camp at KU for journalism and I really enjoyed it. And I got to interview back in the day, Ryan Robertson. He was so cute. And I got to interview him and it went really well. And it was all set up, right? I was this little high school kid. So of course they were so nice to me. So I was like, well, I'll go to college and I'll be a sports journalist. Well, I uh, got into college and I kind of got involved in everything. Like I ended up playing, I um, the rowing team recruited me. So that helped make that decision to go there. And essentially got into college and I hated the journalism stuff. Like I thought I'd just get to show up and talk on TV. I didn't understand all, especially back then, all of the stuff you had to do. Like you had to like, like there's just so much editing, like hard editing back then, right? Stuff that just wasn't in my wheelhouse or so I didn't think back then. It just wasn't what I thought. And at the same time, I had a friend that that went into journalism, like graduated college at the same time. And she kept getting, she was a very pretty girl, but she wasn't a supermodel. She was a normal looking pretty girl. And this was, mind you, 25 years ago. So she kept getting rejection letters based off her looks. And like, to me, it was just so gross. And I was like, I don't think I want to be in this industry on top of that the sports, like there wasn't very many women in sports. And I was the first women's sports columnist at KU, Wow! right? So this is back when you used to get the paper and it had the sports column on the front page and it'd be the picture. And then it was me and um, once a week. And there was so much pushback on that because I was a woman, right? And so I think between all of that, I just didn't really, I wasn't passionate about it. And I hated like the class, like I was never good at school. Turns out I have ADHD and all the other stuff, but I just wasn't good at it. Right. And ever have, you know how people have those stories of like teacher that steps in or I didn't have that, <laughs> none of that. So I just like kind of was flown day, day, day by day. I loved the social part of college, right? Sure. I was like so scared for my sorority until I couldn't be it anymore because I didn't make grades, but I just didn't like it. And then um, at the time I had a boyfriend that played uh, basketball at Mizzou. And unfortunately, both of his parents passed away while we were in college. Oh, and he had um, a run-in with his coach after his second parent passed away and he just walked off and quit well that meant he didn't have a scholarship to college and he called me and he said I'm moving to Texas and I said you know what I'm going to Texas too because I don't really like what I'm doing here let's just go so we ended up moving to Texas um after our sophomore year and I didn't end up graduating from KU so I really didn't know what I liked there is 
a couple things that I remember from college that I enjoyed and they both were in a random advertising class I took. I don't know why I took that class and a psychology class I took, psychology of personality. Those are the only real core memories I have from college. But what I know is so funny is that 25 years later, my entire career, job, business, whatever you want to call it, is based off those two lessons that I learned in those classes because social media is a form of advertising that is based solely in psychology. Right. No, yeah. And and it's and marketing it, it all fits, right? Because you're you you know, you're trying to build relationships with people, right? And so yeah. So I just watched the most fascinating document documentary. It's called Century of Self. Have you heard of it? I have not. So it's four hour very boring documentary unless you're into this kind of stuff, right? Like it's like no glitz, no glamour, not not done in Hollywood. But one of the most fascinating things is, is that Sigmund Freud, who comes up with most of our, you know, psychology um, theories, was actually cousins with Bernice, who's the founder of advertising, marketing, and PR, right? And so Bernice, when he really started doing all of this, it was because he had been Freud's cousin and knew his theories. And he was like, what if we use these theories? And he really came up with how we um, essentially convince people to use our products or our services. And I didn't, I've always known I was good at the psychology piece, but watching that documentary made me even realize like, I need to even give, I need to start reading more about psychology. I do a lot of research in the marketing space, but I need, need to do more in that psychology space even. Yeah, that's interesting. So you go on this journey, you know, start in Texas, you know, you worked at, you know, some interesting places, Pella Windows, you were hygiene coordinators early on, uh, Nolan Real Estate Services. So um, w what did those jobs teach you early on? Yeah, okay, so I'll give you the cliff notes of my little life there. So I went to Texas and I bartended and it was the best time ever, right? I have my very best friends to this day are girls I bartended with back there. And it was a good time and it was social and it was old day social. So no social media. So you had to go out and I was good at that. I knew everybody in Texas back then. I think Texas gotten a lot bigger. Dallas gotten a lot bigger, but um, then I found myself pregnant. And so I came back to Kansas city and um, to try to make it work with his dad. It didn't work. And then I found myself in a custody case. And so I, I was bartending, but you can't, it's it's not as frowned on now, but that's one of the things they would would go after me for. Right. Um, was not having a stable nine to five, anything like that. So I uh <laughs> I was just looking for a job. And what ended up happening is I was on Craigslist, because that's how long ago it was. I was looking on Craigslist and I was just calling through anything that didn't have a degree because this was when you would apply online, they would shoot you back if you didn't have a degree, you wouldn't no one would see it. So I called this dental office and um it was just a hygiene coordinator was the fancy name for the secretary up front, right? Right. And so I called that and she answered and she goes, Westwood Dental. And I go, what? The address wasn't Westwood though. So I was like, what? She's like, Westwood Dental. And I was like, Westwood Dental, like Jack Hayden used to own? She's like, oh yeah, our owner bought Westwood Dental and another dental office, kept the Westwood Dental name because their reputation was better, but the building was better. So I moved everything over here. Well, Westwood Dental was my grandpa's, right? Oh, wow the woman that he had sold it to but i had been in texas for years right. so i didn't matter or anything so i showed up to the interview and uh she goes i called your grandpa to see if he'd be a good employee and i was like okay and i was wild and yeah so she you would hope you'd get a good reference from your grandfather i mean <laughs> one, would one would hope you know what he said he said i can't guarantee anything he said <laughs> She's the one that's the most like me. He said, I was wild, but I, once I found what I loved, I went all in. And so she goes, so I'm going to give you a chance. And I honestly didn't have to interview for it. Right. But what she said to me is I came, uh, you know, I was working there a couple of weeks, learning the stuff. And then she came to me and she said, you seem to be creative. We need new patients. Where do you think we can get new patients? Well, it's pretty close to you and Casey. So I go, what about this MySpace thing? And she goes, what? And I go, can I put it on MySpace? And she's like, I don't know what that is. I was like, it's like this thing on the computer that all the students check all the time. So I don't have any proof of this, but I'm pretty sure they were probably the first business in Kansas City on MySpace. Wow. But there were no businesses. I couldn't find wow. any businesses on there. So I don't have any proof of that, but it helped grow the practice. Right. And so uh, very impressed. I, you know, I, I got like a little bit of a 
I think a dollar raise or something. I don't know. But during this whole process, as I got into it, somewhere along the line, someone said, you'd be really good at being a leasing agent. And I was like, oh yeah. They go, do you know you get a discount on your apartment if you're a leasing agent? And that was my most expensive expense. I yeah, and you're like, I'm all in. Oh my God. I was making $11, $11 at Westwood Dental. And so, which now I don't even know how people could afford to be a single mom at $11. Like that is wild to me. But I was making $11 an hour. I had daycare. I had no child support. I didn't have any other help. So I was like, if I can get a discount on, on um, rent, that will be amazing. So then I start trying to get a job at a leasing place. None of them would call me back. I didn't have my degree, so I couldn't apply online. I even walked into, there's a place in Shawnee called Fox Run Apartments. <laughs> my friend the other day, we had to go buy his house and he lives there. And I was like, this place brings back bad memories. Because I walked in with my resume because they had had their job posted everywhere online the girl took it and threw it away in the trash right in front of me and said we won't be doing you and i was like excuse me this was my job i decided to stay when i saw how popular it was and i was just like oh my god i just remember walking out there and i was like now i'm like usually people give up i'm like now i'm gonna do something i'm gonna beat out this box around a so somehow i called nolan real estate every single day for weeks and um, couldn't get a call back. And one day when I called, it was transferred. They were having like a regional meeting or something. So it was transferred to the regional manager's cell phone. And she answered. And I just said, I just need you to meet with me. That's all I need. I just want you to meet with me. Da-da. So she said, this is weird, but let's go to lunch. And at lunch, she offered me the job. Wow. So I got there. They put me at the crappiest property. No one else wanted to work it. I want. I realized really quick I wanted to work it because it was crappy, but it had the most apartments and I worked off commission. Right. No one else seemed to get that. They were they wanted to be cute and flirt with cute residents. I wanted to make money. Right. While I was there, uh, again, they were like 70% full. I said, Can I put this on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube? And what ended up happening is I filled this place up that nobody ever wanted to live at. Um, and then they had 13 other properties. They said, Can you help with the social media on the rest? And I I ended up working there for about eight years running social media, running the leasing part of that property, doing all this sort of stuff. And then I had my second baby. And when I had that second baby, they were moving all of their corporate jobs to Texas. And they said, would you be interested at all taking like a CMO job or something like that? And I said, no, I'm not moving to Texas. I can't. I'm stuck here. I've got two kids now. So um, went to Palo Windows and that's where the LinkedIn stuff really started. I was the worst window salesman in the world, but I but my numbers didn't prove that. Like I hated windows. I hated everything about construction, but my numbers were very high because I would bring my, I was the only one bringing my own leads. And that's because I put myself on LinkedIn. I was like, where are people going to write $50,000 checks? I'm just going to go on LinkedIn. And so it's all kind of funny because every single job I was doing what my company does now, right? Like I was doing the sales, but using social media to do sales. Eventually I wanted to open my, everyone kept going, you should just do this on your own. You should just do this on your own. And at the time um, I was young, making stupid mistakes. And I started dating the president of Pella Windows at that time, which is a total HR nightmare now that I'm this age and I know things shouldn't happen. Right. Like that. Oh, <laughs> right? Understanding why they had me fill out so much paperwork on my way out. But I was dating him and I said, one of us had to leave once we disclosed that we were dating and it made sense for me to leave. And um, I said, well, maybe I'll go start my own company. And he said, you're not smart enough. And I don't have the capacity to help you do that right now. And so I went to a marketing agency. I took a huge pay cut, went to a marketing agency to see how an agency ran. And then four years later, Nike came to me on something. And it allowed me to start my own company and uh, prove I was smart enough. So Nike approached you personally to work with them? Um, so (laughs) there were a couple people in a boardroom, the, the board ran out of LA, not, not Oregon, but the board ran out of LA. It was for the old Ken Griffey Jr. Swingman line. And they were thinking about taking it digital and they didn't want to work with a big agency on it because they wanted to do social media. I mean, this was a decade ago, right? So social media was there, but it wasn't like it is now. And, but so they, um, essentially just wanted to kind of find an individual and two men in a boardroom in LA both knew who I was off LinkedIn. And so my name came up and when they're like, okay, two of us knows this random girl in Kansas, maybe we should check it out. Had a couple conversations and nothing ended up happening with it because they never took the brand digital. So I learned with those big companies, you can do about six months worth of free work and still not 
do anything. But what it really did is it allowed me the uh, diving board to go out on my own. And um, it took one LinkedIn post for me to say, hey, I'm starting this on my own. And I started landing clients left and right. I had gotten a bartending job at Tio Cali restaurant, my friend Enrique, that was going to be my backup plan. And I only had to work there a few weeks before I was paying my bills. That's my great. That was, that's phenomenal. So yeah, so yeah, it's nice to launch your company with a logo client like Nike. I mean, that that's, that's a nice, uh, I never got a dollar from them. So I worked for her yeah. free a lot because they never took it. They never, wow. they never ended up going, um, digital with that brand because he right. was hitting the Hall of Fame that summer and it's Nike. So they do all the research and there's a lot of research that says every time after an athlete, every day after an athlete hits the Hall of Fame, their net worth goes down a significant amount every day after that. So it just didn't make sense for them to end up taking a digital because they were making $150 million at Dick's Sporting Goods. Right. Like they were like, eh, it's all good on this guy. Right. Interesting. Yeah. But still, it gave you, you can, you can reference Nike, even though you didn't get paid. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Cause I did do, I worked with them and stuff. I would have liked to get paid, but you know, it also made me realize that I never wanted an agency that worked with those types of clients. Right. Everyone I worked with was really nice, but the bells and the whistles and the hoops you got to jump through. Uh -uh. Yeah. I like to work with small businesses. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then you're, it, everything's decision by committee. There's so many people involved. It's yeah. And everybody got the board involved. It's a lot. Right. Right. What, uh, so what was your biggest learning experience starting your own business the first year? You know, I think the first year is the most fun year. It's like when you're dating somebody, right? It's usually so good at first. Um, and any dollar seems like a lot of money because people are believing in you. So I, I wouldn't even say the first year that I had that many business lessons. It, for me, it was the third year where it got really hard. That second and third year is when it was like, okay, now you really need to function like a business, right? Mm -hmm. That first year, I probably functioned more like a hobby than anything, right? Yeah. But the fact that I was making, I was making more money than I had ever made. So it all felt good. Um, we didn't have very many employees, right? Because it was year one. So you didn't have all those issues. Um, it was that second and third year that I that I think was really, and we signed 12 month contracts. So I didn't have anybody leaving. So I think if I knew then what I knew now, I would have done a lot more of the process stuff in that first year when it seemed a little bit less overwhelming. Um, but I don't know if I learned a major lesson. It, year two and three, though, I could talk on this thing for a seven hours. <laughs> what uh, did you have any mentors uh, at that time starting the business? Whether that was people or books you read, what guided you through that first three years? Yeah, I could have done better. I could have done better with mentors. So, as far as me knowing a lot of people in Kansas City now, I didn't know anybody when I started, really. Right. I had done sales at different places and I had gone to some chamber stuff, but mostly like I was in like the Lee Summit chamber and stuff like that. I wasn't like a Kansas City chamber or anything. So um mentor-wise, I would meet people that were great. That second and third year, I started meeting a lot with Joyce Harina, who's the former CMO of Hellsberg. Um, she's like on the toll house board and like she's a huge deal. So so one of my employees, high school homecoming date. Uh, just love startups. So he saw she started working there. He came and met with me and he's like, I want you to meet this woman I play tennis with at the carriage club. And I met Joyce. And then from Joyce, I started meeting some of the most badass women in Kansas City. She's like a woman who means business and every like nobody says no to a meeting with Joyce. Right. So um, in fact, she said to me in one of our very first meetings, um, she said, if you can meet anyone in Kansas City, who would it be? I told her and she set up the meeting right away. Wow. So like, um, it was, she was, she was awesome, but she had never ran a business. So it was more on networking and stuff like that. Not necessarily in that business space. Sure. Um, now I meet every week with Maria Flynn and oh, I don't know. Yeah, I love Maria. She is probably the most badass business woman in Kansas city. Um, she has the largest exit of a woman owned business ever in Kansas city. And every week we meet and um, 
that's where I we get into the weeds on the business stuff. She's great. Yeah, very smart, smart person. Yeah, she's great. And then Jamie Simpson helps me out with some of the operational type stuff. Yeah, Jamie's great also. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So it's interesting because like you're like connected to everybody. You and Scott Havens or, you know, like everybody knows Aaron Falk. Everybody knows Scott yeah. Havens. Uh, so and so you were early adopter of LinkedIn. I mean, because you're you win yeah. the award, Aaron. You have the most followers, 25,000 plus of any out of my 55 guests I've interviewed so far. So like you're going from, you know, zero to 25,000. How, what, what was that process like? And yeah, so I've also been named top LinkedIn voice in Kansas city by blogger magazine a few years in a row. And then uh, business journal called me top online network person. And then LinkedIn's actually flown me out there too. Oh, wow. I've done a lot in the LinkedIn space, but essentially it started with my pellet stuff because I never could network like anybody else, right? I had these two little kids at home by myself all the time. So I had to figure out how do I meet people without going to networking events. So I started doing content on LinkedIn very early, way early. A lot of people do content on LinkedIn now. I started doing it on con content on LinkedIn 10 years ago when people didn't even know you could do content on there. Um, I started going very, very, very hard in 2017 because people started asking me to speak on LinkedIn. So I was probably at like 10K followers then, and then I've grown 15K. And to me, I probably should have grown more. I've had a rough past year, so I haven't had any growth in the past year because I haven't done any content in the past year, really. I've done very little content. Right. But, you know, I see a lot of opportunity that I missed during COVID and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's like anything else. I just saw that as like, hey, this is, a, I've always seen the social part of social media. So I just thought it was a way to to grow on social. Now, me being very networked was very intentional. So you said earlier something about my podcast. The very first podcast I had was we wanted to offer podcasts at Lillian James in 2017. And so I said, well, 2017, a lot of people are starting podcasts now. 2017, five years ago, people didn't even really know yet where all to listen to podcasts, they were just learning. Okay. So in 2017, I wanted to have a podcast. And so I sat down and I was like, let's do strategy around this because I need to have a podcast to show people we can do podcasts. We always do stuff on ourselves first to prove we can do it. And I got a hold and I'll never say who gave it to me, but I got a hold of the women who mean business list. And I'll be really honest. Now I hate those stupid awards. I hate those awards. I never apply for awards. If I get nominated, I throw them in my digital trash. Now I wouldn't be as impressed, but back then I got it. And I was told if you want to meet with any major woman in the city, here's the list. So I just started emailing through the list. And because I had a huge LinkedIn following, I was emailing on LinkedIn because they would look at my thing and be like, why don't I know this girl? And I was inviting every single woman, every single one of these women on my podcast. And at the time we did it in person. Why was I doing that? One, they would come to my office. At that point I had like 10 employees. They would see we're like a legitimate business that were there. It was a really cute office, right? Two, I would sit down and we all know that the first 20 minutes of this podcast and the last 20 minutes of this podcast, when we're not recording, that's where the relationship is built, right? Right. And so I started making these major relationships throughout the city and then they would introduce their friends. And it got so much to the point that this is kind of the same time I was becoming friends with Joel Goldberg and everyone knew who Joel was. I didn't know who Joel was. I was actually referred, he reached out to me to be on his podcast, right? And I didn't know who he was, but when he came in to that same office, we like hit it off. Like we became buddies. And so Joel and I decided we needed to do some in-person networking because we both were just online so much. So we intentionally in 2018, I think we went to the business journal. It was a business journal event. All I remember is everybody was in suits. I was in a leopard sweater and Joel was in a red sweater and everyone else. It was a very fancy event, but I, at the time I didn't know anyone except for the couple people that had been on my podcast from this list and the uh, business journals um, uh, publisher, Stacey Prosser, she walked up to me and I didn't know who she was. I didn't read the business journal. I still don't read the business journal. Right. Uh, but she walked up to me and she said, Hey, um, I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. You're having some major powerhouses on there. And I looked at her name tag and I said, Oh, what do you do with the business journal, Stacy?" And she said, well, I'm the publisher. And I go, does that mean you're the boss? And she said, yeah. And I go, well, how about then you come on the podcast? And she's like, no, I would never do the podcast. I'm like, I, I mean, it sounds like you want to be one of these major, like align yourselves. It only makes sense. 
And so I got her to agree to come on the podcast. And I think after that, people, it just gave me that little bit more legitimacy where people were like, okay. And then it just turned into, I could connect with whoever I wanted to. And that just spiraled really fast. So it was really like 2018, 2019, 2020. Like I just pretty much started following, but I will tell you to this day, so many people will know, say that they know me when I go out and I don't meet with people in person. So um, I don't always know, like, I think it's because I do so much content, which is what I always preach, that people really feel like they know me, but they've never met me in person, right? And so it's kind of a weird di- like diatomy, dichotomy, I don't know how to say that word, but um, it's funny because if you do the right amount of content and the right amount of video content, a lot of people like will think what you just said, like, you know, everyone in town. I don't think I know anyone in town, but I feel like a lot of people know me in town. Yeah, and I should have said you're connected to a lot of people. But I, what I will say, I mean, in, you know, yeah, like Tim Ferriss is my podcast idol. I just love his podcasts. You know, I, I also do uh, Seth Godin's Akimbo. Uh, but but you feel like you know these people because you listen to their podcasts. And your your videos on LinkedIn and other social media platforms, I mean, they're phenomenal. I mean, you're authentic. You're genuine. You lay it all out there. You're as transparent as they come, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you're, you, they do get to know you, right? Because you're, it's you, it's Aaron Fall, you know, it's not Lillian James Creative, and we'll talk about personal branding here shortly. But I mean, it's, it's great that you do that, because, you know, there's no, you know, when I asked you what secrets would people, you know, what's the, what would surprise people about you that even know you've, you know, well, or fairly well, and you, you, you talk about that. But yeah, because you're out there, you know, uh, just laying it all out. So I love that. Someone did a post yesterday giving shout outs to their favorite LinkedIn creators. And I was named one of them. I've never met this woman, but yeah. the re- she was saying the reason they were her favorite LinkedIn creators. And I'm be honest with you. I got a little offended at first, but then I slept on it and now I feel okay about it. But it was such a reality check for me. She said that the reason I was one of our favorite LinkedIn creators was because of my braggadocious personality in content. And I thought, well, that's kind of a rude thing to say, to say I'm bragging. And then I thought, you know what? I've been very intentional about when I talk about my wins. Because what happens, and there's a lot of research out there, and I'm not going to quote any of the numbers because I'm not a numbers girl. I mess it up every time. But what I'll tell you is that I see it every day with our clients. When women win, they don't tell anyone. When men win, they tell everybody, right? Right. And I'm not saying that every single person fits in the schedule. But very few women want to talk about the wins. Because a lot of women, especially in their, we probably are less in the millennials, younger millennials and Gen Z, but um, Gen X, baby boomers, all of us, we were taught to play that step step back phase. We were taught um, not to, right? Like there's just a culture piece there. And I have been intentional of being like, both here are my wins and here are my failures, right? Mm-hmm. And so- I realized maybe she doesn't mean just my braggadocious, like I'm just talking about my wins because I talk about my failures just as much, right? I had no issue going on LinkedIn last year when I was sitting in a hospital gown talking about what happened and how it's affecting my business and how what steps I'm taking and asking for advice. I guess that could be seen as braggadocious too because I'm just, I don't know how to be what I'm not. But I also, I would say about twice a month get emails from women that say, thank you for being you. It allowed me to think it was okay to do this. Thank you for being you. I'm dealing with the same thing and I haven't talked to anyone about it. And, you know, we see that happen a lot in the Instagram space and the TikTok space. We don't see it happen on the LinkedIn space. Right. It's starting to more, but we don't see it happening on the LinkedIn space at all because it's uncomfortable for people because the demographic's a little bit older over there, right? And it's just not what we're taught. We're taught work is professional, right. but I told you it's all merged anyway. So... Yeah, it's kind of crazy. A lot of people think I'm a total open book, but I just don't know how to be anything I'm not. I don't know, I love that about you. I think it's great. Um, so, you know, you had a major leg injury, fractured in multiple places. It was broken. All broke. the bones on my left leg. Yeah. So all the bones. What did that, I mean, that time period where you're doing the recovery and, um, you know, working through that process because it was major and it took a lot of time. What did you learn about yourself and that, how that how did that impact you as a leader of your uh, of your business and, and your and your employees? 
Yeah, so I haven't talked about this at all. Uh, oh, wait, so first, we're getting an Aaron Falk first here. This is. I've been planning on when I'm going to talk about it, but I haven't talked about it at all. And I could not have done this podcast three months ago because I could not have talked about this, but I'll tell you exactly what I did. So what ended up happening is last July, the last day of last July, I went downstairs to check if the garage was open. Totally sober, like just the normal everyday thing. Um, it wasn't open because it never is. <laughs> I need paranoid. I started to go back up the stairs. I thought, oh, I didn't lock that door between the garage and the house. I should. And I pivoted wrong and I fell down the stairs. And all I remember doing is being like, that's weird that my foot's turned the wrong way. And I, well, what had happened is my bones had broken, popped out of my leg, popped them back in. And at the time, three kids lived here and my partner. And so I started screaming for my partner and I'm just like a psychopath. So I was like, she was coming down and it must've just been shock. But I was like, here's the deal. I'm going to need you to bring me my phone. I, my laptop, they're both on my desk. The new insurance cards are on my desk. If you could just get those for me and then move the car out of the driveway because the ambulance is going to need to get in. And she's like, what's going on? And luckily she had a medical background. So she looked at it. You could tell on her face. She didn't want me to really know what was going on. (laughs) And she brought me my phone. She brought me my laptop, started calling grandmas. I'm like, Hey, we've got camps tomorrow. Can you pick up the kids? They're like, why are you calling at midnight? What's going on? I'm like, I'll explain later. I think she was probably calling on the back and telling them what was going on. Um, but essentially, I rescheduled every appointment I had and my kids' uh, transportation before the ambulance got here. And then I um, was like, just, I was like, here, right here, this is the best thing. And they were like, what? And I was like, just give me the medicine. I'm about to pass out. Oh, jeez. Wow. So I go in there for the first few minutes, they couldn't find the pulse in my leg and they thought they were going to have to amputate my leg. Ugh. I think that scariness of maybe my leg, I won't have it at all. If I could keep my leg, I didn't care what they did, right? Like just keep my leg. So because of my network, there's an amazing woman, uh, Christine Ricci. I don't know if you know her, but she had all the You Break, I Fix stores. And then um, now she does the liquid mobile IV unit Um, after her last exit. Her husband runs the ER that I went to. And so I'd reached out. So by the time I got there, I don't know if she had talked to him or how that worked, but he knew who I was. And he said, he had made a phone call. He's like, we're going to get you in surgery. As soon as the morning comes, we're going to let this medicine fit in. And you know, you don't really ever remember all that part. I was in the hospital for about a week, came home. They wanted me to go check in somewhere else, but we were able to convert like our, we have a lot of stairs in this house. We were able to convert our downstairs living room into like a makeshift bedroom. And I lived downstairs for a few weeks and then I had in-home health care, which allowed me to get upstairs, but it took months to learn to walk. But just for fun, um, my grandfather, who I told you, I'm, I ended up becoming very close with my grandfather after I started my business. And then a couple of years ago, he got dementia. He got dementia. So he was in a dementia home and I was still going up there seeing him, but he ended up falling at the home five weeks after my fall. But he ended up being in hospice for a week and then passing away. And then, because that wasn't enough trauma, my partner came to me and said, hey, um, this is just a lot. And there was some other back end stuff that I don't need to talk about. But she said, I'm moving out this weekend. I was still in a wheelchair at this point. Ugh. So, um, and one of the ch- one of the kids were her, two, two were mine. So she was taking my stepson. And so... Uh, we went back and forth illegally for a long time after that. Um, we weren't officially married, but we had to, we had a lot of assets and stuff together. So we had to do a lot of legal stuff. And so it got a little bit nasty. And then it just went into crisis mode where I had to refinance my house. I agreed to take on all the debt. I just was saying yes to anything because it was just too much trauma. I was like, I'll do whatever, right? And the only reason we were pushing back is because my lawyer was like, don't say yes to all this. But essentially, I said yes to a bunch of things that I shouldn't have said yes to. But I went into crisis mode and I started fixing everything. And so it took about, you know, you own a business. You should usually plan if you're going to refinance or buy a house, right? Because just because it's impossible. Post-COVID, it's harder when you own a business to buy a house or whatever. Right. So um, it took about five months to get through all of the legalities. I ended up spending close to six figures just to get out of this relationship. And 
we had just put a pool in, you know, and stuff like that. So paying off all that debt. And I was fine. I was fine during that time. And I was showing up to work to answer your question. And I was fine. I wasn't probably my most best self, but I was, but I was okay. Right. Um, part of my job is creativity. So I don't think I was probably the best creative I could, but I have some amazing creatives. I was able to offsource that too. But what happened is the minute that this house refinanced, I actually disassociated, which is a medical term when you completely are alive, but you're not functioning in your daily life, right? I didn't know this was going on, but for three months I disassociated and I didn't leave my bedroom and I sat online and I didn't show up to work and I didn't do, I did not great I just didn't do anything. I wasn't a great mom. I wasn't a great, luckily my kids were in summer camps and there was a lot of just running around. So I was able to do that, but that was it. But I, I wasn't good. I wasn't good. And what I learned, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I just snapped out of it. We had a personal thing happen and it just snapped me out of it. And I was like, I don't have, I don't have memories for those three months, which is really weird. But when I realized what had happened, that's when I started getting the business and we lost a lot of clients. But what I will tell you is the people that I just mentioned earlier, Maria, Jamie, and actually Scott Havens, I went to them and I said, here's where I'm at. And I don't even know where to start. My business is a mess. And luckily I've, I've met with every client we have left and they're super understanding and they're ready to rock and roll. But I didn't have my business set up for me to step away was the biggest issue. And then I, I let my business run with people that aren't entrepreneurs that didn't know how to set it up when I was gone. Right. Cause I hadn't done that. And, um, they put together kind of, they're kind of acting like my advisory board. So they put together and they came up with options and they came up with solutions and we started meeting and essentially I'm really good in crisis. So I was able to pull the whole business back into the black within five weeks and sign a whole bunch of new clients and start offering new offers. And um, I just had these really honest conversations with a lot of my clients. Like, here's what happened. I went through a lot of trauma and I wasn't ready for that amount of trauma. And I, I think that I got really lucky that I didn't lose my entire business. Wow. But that's probably the, the biggest thing is that I now know that my business needs to be set up that if I walk away, whether it be for a day or for six months, nothing happens. And that's what I'm working on now. Yeah, no, that, I mean, well, one, just to get back to when you initially, you know, uh, broke your, all the bones in your leg, you, how did you remain that calm? Like you're like, you were in, you know, action mode. I got to do this, 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 and this. I mean, how, I mean, that's just phenomenal really that you were able to do. Yeah. That. So remember I told you earlier, so here comes my psychology piece. You ready? Because it all works together, Jeff. I'm ready, Aaron. Remember earlier how I told you I grew up in chaos? Mm -hmm. I've since learned I thrive in chaos because that's all I know, right? So actually, before that leg break, my business was having the, it was doing the best it's ever, ever done, right? So we just turned seven this year. It, I mean, we were thriving and I thought my relationship was great. We had just built this pool. We had this gorgeous new house and this wonderful neighborhood. The kids were loving their schools. We were on year two of these new schools. I mean, it was going good. And I think like that's actually harder for me, which is what I'm working. I'm going to therapy twice and I'm working through it, but nobody ever talks about like, if you grew up in chaos, that's what you know. So that's when you did your best, right? When it's good, that's when I should be like happy. Right. That's when it's hard for me because I don't know what that's like. So I'm working on that. Yeah, no, we're, we're all we're all projects, uh, works in progress, right? I mean, it's yeah. I, I, I when people uh, talk about they don't need therapy, I'm like, I'm pretty sure like almost everybody needs it. <laughs> Speaking personally, but. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think, I mean, look, you, you, you the, the physical injury, you're losing your grandfather, a, a, a major, you know, a major part of your life, your your life partner, you're thinking your life partner, right? And then just, and yeah, I mean, it's decimating. So, I mean, having 
you know, even survive that. I mean, you could have gone into some really dark places, and I'm sure you did, but you could have, you know, yeah. other things could have happened. You could have made other choices. We wouldn't be talking right now, right? I mean, you know what's so crazy though? Like, yeah, I could have, I could have. Where I got lucky is that because I've grown this network in Kansas City, mind you, I told you I never see people in person. I just see them all virtually. That hospital told me the day I was leaving, they'd never seen more flower deliveries for one person. Oh. Right. And I had so many meals provided, so many people come by. I mean, people you people that you just think like most people can't even get on the phone came by my house with cookies, came by my house, um, just hang out with me. My friends would come over and play board games with me because I couldn't leave my room, right? And it was just insane because all the, all the to bring it full circle, all the networking that I had done over the years. And I mean, to be honest, when I network, I network with intention. So if there's somebody I think you should meet, I do that intro, right? Sure. Like I've never been an all in for me type of girl. Um, but at this point, I didn't have it in me to help anyone else. And all those people stepped up and showed up for me. And it was it was pretty phenomenal because it was all just based off of me starting this business that every single person that showed up, I mean, they're my friends of 20 years, but they're all in Dallas, right? Kansas City, most of the people that showed up, I know through since I started this business. Well, and yeah, I mean, it, it's the power of, and it's a testament to you and your relationships, right? That people did show up and in a time you really needed them. So that's, that's phenomenal. Uh, I love that. Let me get to a fun question now. Okay. Got to change it. So um, two of your many podcasts, so I, I was lucky enough uh, to be on Drinks with Leaders uh, two different times. So I think you got, you and Scott Havens do a phenomenal job there. But you had another podcast, and I think it was the one with the women, uh, I don't know, Cocktail Hour podcast. So two of your podcasts ha have, you know, drink-related themes is what's behind that and what is your favorite drink? Right. Um, I like to drink. What's behind that? Um, I think that it's just a culture thing, right? When you bring, so I will tell you on cocktail hour, I, those Cayman Jack margaritas, this is when they first came out. I would always have those available for my guests because what I realized the first couple episodes is if you gave someone a margarita, they way more opened up. Right. And told you good stuff. And like I told you, a lot of women have a, have in, in that demographic, have a harder time opening up. So I was like, I'll just provide drinks and that will help. So that's kind of where that that whole idea came from. And then with Scott and I, essentially during lockdown, I was like, let's just do happy hour online. I've got LinkedIn Live. No one else does. Let's call it. First, we wanted first we were going to call it drinks with CEOs. The first graphic we ever made for it said drinks with CEOs. And then we thought that that actually that was on Scott. He called me and goes, I think that that boxes us in too much. Let's do something else that's not CEOs. And I said, what about drinks with leaders? And he's like, yeah. So then we have just ran with that. Oh my God, that show's been going on for over for almost three years now. Yeah. Isn't that no, I think it's great. You've had you have great people on and highlight uh, Kansas City leaders. So I love it. I know you kind of have launched your personal branding packages with Lillian Jane's Creative. So what do you think? And let's talk about LinkedIn because I think uh, obviously that's kind of the business social media platform. Uh, but it's all integrated, I know. But what do you think the one mistake people make on LinkedIn that are active on it? And uh, and is it the same for companies? Yeah. Um. So LinkedIn's kind of funny because the company pages function much different, even down to the algorithms, than the personal, right? So um, I think people see that with Facebook, but they just don't understand that with LinkedIn, right? Because Facebook, it is a personal Facebook versus a company Facebook, but they don't understand how much different the company LinkedIn's function from the personal LinkedIn's. Um, I think that the number one mistake, mistake people make with social media in general, so when it comes to business content, so not, you know, grandma's Facebook, I don't care about that, but when it comes to business content and using your content to grow your network and your uh, business and your pocketbook, the number one mistake is that people talk about what they want to talk about, not what other people want to talk about, right? So, okay, I actually made a video about this today. I'll use this as a good example. So did you see my, you probably didn't see my LinkedIn video today, did you? And by the time this comes out, it'll be such an old video. So, okay, here's the deal. Do you realize back in the day, 
Um, when Betty Crocker put out their first instant cakes, nobody would buy them. No why nobody bought the cakes. At the time, all you had to do was add water. They were actually easier. All you had to do was add water. Nobody bought the cakes. And the reason that nobody bought the cakes, despite all of their efforts to market them and make women's lives easier in the 1920s and 30s, is because they didn't understand their target market. So what their target market wanted is they did want it easier, but those cakes made their target market feel lazy and unvalued. Now you're saying I've spent years making cakes from scratch, and now I have no value in making this cake. And my entire job is to be the stay-at-home mom, because it's the 1920s, is to be the stay-at-home mom and cook and cleaner, right? So they went back to the drawing board when they realized these cakes made their demographic feel lazy, unwanted, like after all their focus groups, lazy, unwanted, like they were cheating and no value. And they said, how do we come up with something that um, doesn't make them feel like that? Well, what they ended up with was the one egg that you put in that cake, right? Now I'm going to crack the egg and put the cake in there. And now I actually feel like I cooked this egg or cooked this cake, right? The minute they added that one egg and they started putting that in their marketing, and they, their marketing, if you go back and you look, the marketing shows the egg being cracked, right? Because that is what their demographic wanted. They wanted to market, look, you don't have to do anything. Da -da -da -da, this is great. Da -da -da. But they never talked to their demographic of what do you want? I just want it to be easier, but I still want to feel like I cooked this cake. That one egg was a huge difference. And I think it's, it's, that is a good example of just because it makes sense doesn't mean that's what people want to either do with your service and or hear about with your service, right? So a lot of content you'll see is, okay, let's use, <laughs> oh my God, mortgage lenders and realtors content. Let's use their content. It's the worst. Honestly, it's the absolute worst. Or financial consult. I mean, there's a lot of them. Any of those jobs where there's a lot, like people are, you know, trying to run their own stuff at, under a personal brand. Mortgage, I, I've seen, been looking at mortgage uh, content. I don't know why I'm getting tired, probably because I just refinanced. It's a lot of mortgage content. And it's all about like, um, what what the interest rate means and da da da, da. And it's like, did you know the interest rate is this and da, 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 and stuff that I don't care about when I just refinanced, right? The old, there's like a very small minute time that you maybe care about that. But for me to follow a mortgage person, I'm probably just going to ask my realtor who to use, right? Like it's got to be really interesting content. It's, it's so industry specific when they do content. It's like the same when um, finance people talk about being fiduciaries. I don't care. Are you make me money or not? How are you going to make me money? Why are you different than the other guy talking about a fiduciary? Nobody cares about the word fiduciary. That's not in finance. And the people in finance aren't your demographic. Um, the mortgage, I saw a good mortgage one the other day. And so this is a good example. So this guy's mortgage stuff was about... Because I'm always really intrigued if their content is an industry I don't want anything to do with, but it catches my attention. There's a guy and it was over on TikTok, but he says, how much do you have to make a year to afford a $500,000 house? How much do you have to make a year to afford a $400,000 house? How much do you have to make to do a, to do a kitchen, uh, kitchen upgrade, right? Like stuff like that. And he breaks down and he goes, this is how much you have to make a year. That's easy for me to understand. Now I know, hey, I can buy a million dollar house when I make this amount of money one day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not like, come use me because right. today the rates are da 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 da. It's something that's interesting. So I think a lot of time, the number one mistake that anybody makes is they write about content they care about. Honestly, if somebody was as interested in your industry as you, they would work in that industry. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, marketing is a sexy industry and people all the time that, reach out to me and go, I don't care about marketing, but I know you're good at it. So I want you to do it. They don't care the SEO and the analytics. They just want sales. Right. So I have to explain to them, like, you know, I have to make content around stories of why the Barbie movie did so amazing with their marketing budget and what they did different and the egg story and stuff like that. Nobody cares about your industry stuff. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great insight, which I figured you would have. So that, thank you for that. Aaron, there's two groups of people I love to help on the podcast. One is uh, people that are graduating from college or getting their first professional job. What advice would you uh, have for them as they start their professional uh, career journey? 
Yeah. Um, I think that my, so from the girl that didn't go to college, right, you're already way ahead of me, but my advice there would be, I think a lot of times you're very, a lot of students are very concerned about the pay and the, and I get it. It's expensive. It's expensive to be a person these days. Um, I would say that my number one advice would be less concerned about the pay, more concerned about the opportunity. So who are you going to meet? Because if you have to get a job through Indeed or LinkedIn or something like that, then your network is not big enough to get a good job, right? And every good job I know, I get hit up um, one to two times a day, probably, of people going, do you know anyone that would be a good fit for this? Now, there's some legalities about having to post those once you have a certain amount of employees and stuff like that. I don't even care about that, okay? I don't even care about recruiters. I don't care about that. At the end of the day, most jobs that are six figures and above are filled through personal referrals. Right. Right. And so if you do not know somebody to get you a job like that, then take the job for the opportunity of who you'll meet versus what you'll make because it will, you're playing the long game and it will pay off a lot faster. So if you can get a, I don't know, a paychex job selling, but that means you get to go to every networking event out there because they're going to pay for all your chamber memberships right that's a better job and you're going to be making no money but that's a better job to help your future than anything out there yeah no I, that's great advice i love that um the long game it's not many yeah, brains develop fully i think at 25 and for males probably even later than that so i, I did for them to understand the long game uh is a, a truly uh, an attribute that would be great. The other group I love to help is, you know, once you start leading people and you're responsible for a team, so, uh, you know, usually you start as an individual contributor and then you get a team under you, you get promoted. What, what advice do you have for those uh, new leaders that are beginning their leadership journey? I shouldn't give any leadership advice. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say is I don't think everybody's cut out to be a leader. And I think there's different types of leaders. I think, I think often what ends up happening, and I saw this in sales a lot because I was in sales. I think the best sales guy becomes the sales manager and they're usually a pretty crappy manager. And I was a salesperson for a long time and a sales manager. I was a really crappy sales manager, mm-hmm. right? Um, one, I'm not a great leader. And I, I think that that's probably something I'm not supposed to say, but I have a hard time understanding why people don't want to work as hard as me. I have a hard time understanding why common sense lacks. I have a hard time. What I've done really well, if I've put buffer people that function like me, who are good leaders in between me and the majority of the people I have to lead, right? So, and I think this is true for a lot of people that do this well. I think a lot of CEOs are pretty crappy leaders, but because they're visionary and they're next level, next level, they're squirrels. It's like ADHD at all points, right? which could really drive your COO or your CFO crazy. But I think that if you have some good buffer people in between that know how you function and they function well with you, then they can take that and they they can do that job of leadership. I think that my biggest piece of leadership advice is you don't have to be a leader if you don't want to. Like if that is not something you're passionate about, you shouldn't be. Now, I think that Everybody is a leader in some sort of way, some places, right? Like, let's, but having that manager or that director role is not always one, it's never the most profitable role. Let's be honest. That person always works way more. And over, if you really break down the hours, it's not going to be the most profitable. But it's a culture thing to say you want to have to have that role. That's a culture thing. If everybody was cut out to be the leader, this would be a, society full of war a society full of fighting like everybody can't be the boss right um so it's okay to to be the best at what you do it's okay to help out and mentor and all that but you don't have to i just i don't know if this is answering your question but i think we put so much pressure on having to be the leadership role there is that is the least favorite part of my job yeah, no, that's a great point. And obviously you're being uh, transparent, so I, I love that. Um, Aaron, I, I love your story. I love what you do with uh, uh, your company and just your relationships in Kansas City and, uh, and beyond. You have a, a fabulous uh, career journey. It's not the traditional, and I love that. Uh, 
uh, you know, starting as a bartender teaches you a lot about people and life, right? This, going back to psychology, right? But uh, yeah, so thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff, for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. It was so great to catch up to Erin. Uh, she and her uh, co-host, Scott Havens, uh, they were generous enough for me to come on their podcast, uh, which started early on in the pandemic called Drinks with Leaders. So um, although the two times I have appeared, I did not drink. Um <laughs> which is unusual for me. No, just kidding. Um, But that's a common theme with all of her podcasts. Yes. Yes. uh, Yeah. Everything had drinks or drink related. Cocktail hour podcast. I I like drinking. What's the problem? Yeah. There's no holds barred with Aaron for sure. And and really the most unusual or unique uh, journey uh, early in her career to where she is now. I mean, she bartended, uh, she leased apartments, she was, you know, sold for Pella windows. I mean, it, she really um, took uh, various different turns. I think she was a high, hygiene coordinator, not even a dental hygienist. Uh, she, you know, basically the office manager. And, so and very was, successful at every one of those. Whatever, yes. whatever she was dipping her toe into, she was successful. And the common theme which led to her business was she was on the leading edge of social media mm-hmm. and telling, you know, she started out with MySpace at the dental office saying, hey, I could put some stuff on MySpace and we can get UMKC students, University of Missouri, Kansas City, because the dental office was close to there. So I, I just thought she was, you know, again, people that know Aaron, she's just, you know, she's as genuine, as transparent as you can get. And she got into some, you know, when, the, when her leg fractured and her business was not doing well and her partner left her and lawsuits. I mean, she really uh, just, uh, I think for the first time publicly told about everything that happened during that time period. And she was, you know, she was off social media and LinkedIn uh, for, I think she said six months. So it's just an incredible story. And it's great to see what she's done with uh, Lillian James creative. She definitely is one of the more interesting stories that we've, uh, that we've had on this, that the fact that she went through so many different industries and so many different jobs, everything I, I had written to you earlier when I was talking about her, and I said, she's a firecracker. She's just she's just ex- exploding. And everything that she does, you can tell that that comes through the, the interview, even from the very beginning, where she started out saying, I'm wearing this hoodie. Is this on video? You know, and she, she started started out with that. You could tell from the first 20 seconds of that interview that this one was going to be something special. I thought that was really interesting. And she talked about social media as as being based solely on psychology, which I thought was kind of interesting. So what that means is is it's not all mechanics. It's not all just making sure that your um, SEO is perfect and uh, you're posting it on the right channels at the right time of day and the right day of the week and everything. But your message has to be based around the psychology of selling all the time. And obviously she has learned that very well and is very successful. And uh, it was, it was a joy listening to that, to that interview. Yeah. Just very fun. She's, I tried uh, for a little while to get her on. So it was, it was great to talk to her. I'm glad you had a chance to do that. Joe, any pearls of leadership wisdom today? Yeah, we're going to go to that great philosopher named Kelly Kapoor that you may be familiar with. She was lamenting and she said, my birthday was yesterday and everybody forgot. I got really dressed up and excited and no one said a word. There wasn't even a party. I think sometimes people are really mean to the hot popular girl. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.